Welcome to What Does This Mean?, a discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches for this upcoming Sunday, which is another festival called the Baptism of Jesus. Today, we'll hear lessons about leadership that challenges maybe everything that you think a leader should be. So welcome to the Jordan River and to Baptism. Welcome to What Does This Mean? We're so glad that you're with us today. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We are the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church, and we look forward to having these discussions with you about the lessons that are coming up for this Sunday, because it helps us to think about them, and the questions that you ask help us to think in some new ways about the stories that we read. So that's really a great thing for us. We are entering another kind of season in the church year called the time after Epiphany, which goes from January 6th, which is the festival of the Epiphany when the Magi come and bring their gift to Jesus. And it ends on Ash Wednesday with the beginning of Lent. And the themes that you may notice coming up again and again in these next few weeks are um, all about Revelation. Epiphany is really just a fancy word for revelation. So the lessons that we look at kind of reveal who Jesus is, who we are, and there's a special attention to how we get called into into that. In our second season, we've been having fun welcoming special guests to the podcast, and today we welcome Ben Finkelstein with us. Ben, we are so glad to have you here. Why don't you tell us tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I've been a member of Gloria Day for probably about three years now. My wife, Meredith Payne, had been a, a member since childhood, and so among the Many wonderful things she's brought into my life. Gloria Day, I I count as one of them. During the day, I work at a U.S. bank, kind of a boring bank job. And when I'm not working, I do some volunteer stuff with Special Olympics uh, with a local nonprofit here called MAVA. And I'm on the church council and the executive committee of the church council as the treasurer. I was hoping I could get in some kind of tangential questions first, just about what you talked about earlier. Does anybody still, is, is the term ordinary time, is that not a phrase that's used anymore? Actually, it is, and it's an interesting question, because the Sundays after Epiphany are actually the beginnings of ordinary time, which doesn't mean like the opposite of Regular, like extraordinary. Normal. Um, it just boring. means it comes from ordinal, which is numbers. Yeah. So there are Sundays that just have numbers, and they're usually green. Color of the church is green. Yeah. And so we begin them in these um, times, and then they pick up again after the whole festival season. After we do Lent, Easter, Pentecost, we return to green, and then the numbers pick oh. up again. 
So the bulk of the year is ordinal time where we're just kind of counting the But the today days. is is the first Sunday after Epiphany, but we don't call it that. We call it Baptism of Jesus. Got so it. it's a festival thrown in ordinary time. I hear it sometime as ordinary in the sense that these are texts that kind of are addressing regular life. You mm. know, they're not the big grand stories. Usually they're teaching us something, pointing to something. Um, so designed to make us be a little more reflective about our ordinary life, in a sense. I usually avoid calling it ordinary time and call it the season after Epiphany yeah. or the season after Pentecost. No one knows that ordinary means ordinal See, I'm math geeky like, enough to say, oh, it's ordinal numbers. This is this is very cool. Right, I know, yeah. but most time. people don't get that. <laughs> I always remember learning as a little kid that the green seasons, which this would be, again, not yeah. if not on Baptism of Jesus, <laughs> which is still a white Sunday, but then after that, the green seasons are seasons in which our faith is invited to grow. So it's texts will often um, encourage us to think about what does it mean to be God's mm. people? What does it mean to, to live into God's um, promises? Whereas the... The other colorful seasons are are maybe more focused on what happened in the life of Jesus, the stories of Jesus' life. See, I'm glad I asked that then. Yeah, perhaps we should uh, look at the Bible. Pastor Lois, why don't you read the first reading? I'd love to. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. I hardly ever read the Bible anymore, um, especially not in order, especially not in big chunks. So it was really great to to not only read my little section, but kind of just read the whole or big chunks of Isaiah, listen to the other readings that you've done, and kind of start to put kind of an understanding of how these chapters fit together. Something that I was thinking about as I read this verse or these verses, or this kind of passage, and the rest of Isaiah is how do other faiths interpret this um, this book? Because, you, you know, it's very clear, or it ha- always has been to me that, oh, this is this is the foretelling of, of Jesus Christ, and we really understand this, the servant to be Jesus. But obviously, you know, Jews don't feel that way. And, and kind of reading through it, you can kind of tell that, well, maybe he, maybe, well, it's very easy to see that he's maybe not talking about Jesus, he's talking about Israel. 
you know, he's just talking about we're going to be great again, you know, make Israel great again kind of. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I think that's really a helpful question. And it would be interesting to know how other faiths beyond the Jews would read this and, and understand that. But, yes, you're right to catch up on um, this is one of these uh suffering servant hymns. We'll have several in Isaiah, the section of Isaiah, which is called the second part of Isaiah. This is sure. where the people have already been taken into captivity. They, Many of the leaders are already in Babylon um, after Judah was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed. So they have this new sense of who they are. They can't figure out who they are because they always understood themselves to be God's people who were chosen to live in Judah and to um, have that um, capital temple and uh, city, and now they don't have that. So they feel lost and uh, bereft and confused about what it means to be God's people. And Isaiah, I think, is trying to say, you are you are chosen to be the servant of God, to be um, active, doing God's purpose wherever mm. you are. You have a, a, you still are chosen. You still have this wonderful role of bringing light and grace to the whole world. That's still your purpose. And you get to do that now. Without that city, God's still going to work this within you. And I think this is part of a thread that runs all through Scripture, probably in sacred writings of other faiths, too, that power is really made known through weakness and what looks like those who are forgotten or left behind, that they are the ones in whom God is choosing to be present and and active. And I think that theme transcends just Christian interpretations of texts, but um, you hear beautiful language of compassion and humility in Buddhism, for example, and uh, certainly in Judaism, that same kind of thread you often hear from rabbis about shalom and peace and and community. Well, and the Old Testament, or what the Hebrew scriptures, um, really that's a theme over and over again, that it's the one that would be least expected. Like it's always the younger son who gets the inheritance rather than the older one, like it should have been. You As know, an like, oldest child, I've never agreed with that. I understand. <laughs> I know. It's really hard for you to hear. Um, I think there's always that overturning what is expected in the Hebrew scriptures. And in that sense, Christianity is really a continuation of many of those same themes from the Hebrew scriptures, which is why we continue to read the Hebrew scriptures as Christians, because we recognize that there's a long history of these ideas in the Jewish texts. But Ben, you're right that many within the church point to Jesus and say, Jesus is the suffering servant. And certainly we we recognize in the suffering that Jesus will do in his ministry. And obviously on the cross, there's that sense of him identifying with that. But you're right to say, but when Isaiah was writing this, he was describing the whole people as those who have suffered and yet um, will be like that dimly burning uh, wick will not go out. We still have the work to do of bringing light Mm. to the world. That's great. And that's probably a good place to take a little break. We'll be right back.
Our second reading today is from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Peter began to speak to Cornelius and his household. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I really like this. Whoever chooses these readings to be together is doing a good job. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional or not. But. It wasn't us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was intentional, yes. yes. Yeah. I, do, I do like these passages together because it kind of, at least in my mind, kind of shows sometimes how radical a departure, I guess these are not the right terms anymore, um, the New Testament and the Old Testament can be sometimes. Um, and my, my question about this was, how radical of a message is this that Peter is extending Jesus's message? Uh, how radical is this to, to all of a sudden go, you know, this new message of peace? Is that is that a new thing, right? Because you kind of get the sense in Isaiah that, you know, there, it, there's so much war going on that, that there's this idea that, that maybe they are talking about some Cyrus the Great kind of person who's going to there's, I remember you talking with John Stendhal about all these alliances and it's someone who's going to make Israel strong and powerful again. And now now we get this message of, of peace, which kind of is specifically says new message of peace almost. How radical is this? It's a super radical message, but for a slightly different reason, I think. And this whole story is worth reading. I think it's worth going, opening your Bible and reading before and after this story. This is one of my very, very favorite Bible stories. Hmm. Because what happens is Peter has this vision of a giant sheet being dropped down from heaven with all these animals that Jews are not supposed to eat. Peter hears a voice saying, Peter, kill and eat. Hmm. And Peter says, no, God, I like that's the rules. The rules can't say, I can't, say, I can't I do, do it. it. And um, the Bible says this happens three times that Peter has this vision and hears this voice. Then the sheet goes back up. And the next thing that happens is Peter encounters Cornelius, who's a Gentile and who's interested in Jesus. And Peter realizes, oh my gosh, that vision that I had mm. was exactly about this moment that I've always thought this mes message was just for our little insider community. But no, this is supposed to be for the entire, for Gentiles too. And it's like Peter's awakening. And for me, that's always been a really important message that um, people well, yeah. who were excluded are actually to be included. Yeah. Well, and the dividing line between Jew and Gentile was just so profound. I think we we don't quite get that because we're used to that language. But in that first century culture, I mean, they really thought of themselves as 
different kinds of people. And there was not crossover. So to say that the divide, which Paul says, the dividing wall has been broken down hmm. between Jew and Gentile, was in the in the hearing of the first century an incredibly radical thing to say. In fact, so radical, it got him thrown into prison. Also, there was division within the church about whether he was right. So at, at the beginning, Peter and Paul don't get along about do, does this message go outside Jerusalem, out, out mm. you know, to, to non-Jews? And there's been, even after this, when Peter says, oh, I see it, it, God does not show partiality, there's still some wrangling between them about what does that literally mean. It gets resolved five chapters later. When we tell Acts the story 15, again, right? Yeah. And then there's this council in Jerusalem where Paul and his crew and Peter and the Jesus's you know, initial disciples come together and have uh, – they kind of hash it out. <laughs> they and, come to Jesus' meeting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, to, fi- to settle once and for all, are Gentiles welcome in this movement? And how, how do we welcome them? Do, right. Does that mean they have to be circumcised first right. or, you know, how Jewish do they become right. in order to well, receive ben, And Ben, you raise a really interesting point about the peace part of this, that um, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all, it says. I think we then tend to think about peace as coming to agreement with those that are different or getting them on our side or us, you know, letting something go in order to find common ground. But that's not what's going on here. Mm -hmm. What connects them is the presence of Jesus, that there's a connection that's bigger than their cultural, social backgrounds, their national identities, that their connection, the place, the source of peace is in Jesus, which to me feels like an important word to say now when in a such a divided world that we live in and politics in our own country so deeply divided. And I think we enter those conversations assuming that we are profoundly different. And then what we have to do is argue our case or get them to come to our side or us somehow that then we we compromise our ideals if we're going to have a relationship. And this calls us to say there's a relationship that transcends that. And how do we live from that deep sense of peace and love as we enter into those conversations. I mean, what if we really understood ourselves as members of the same body or just members of the same family? Like we sometimes talk about each other as siblings in Christ, but what if we really understood ourselves as siblings to one another across the world? There are members of my family who I have disagreements with, but because we are family, we struggle to remain in relationship. Um, And maybe that's the source of peace is that we are members of, and we know we're members of the same family. What if we really understood um, people around the world as our siblings? That would be a source of peace, I think. Well, let's take a little break and we'll come back with the final reading.
Welcome back. Our reading from the gospel is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, this is a familiar passage to a lot of us. I've never really questioned, you know, this is a great thing about this about this podcast is you start to think a little bit more critically about these things for the first time in a long time for a lot of us. My my first immediate question is why is this important? Why why is it important for Jesus to be baptized? And he comes to John and and John says, "Well, no, this doesn't make any sense, especially because if you if you read back even just a couple paragraphs, John is baptizing people for repentance of sins." And we kind of understand it's Jesus to be free of sin. So why does Jesus come down? And they say, you know, I think I read the other, there's a couple other um, gospels, um, you know, the other interpretations of this story. And this is one that, that they do kind of say, oh, it's for righteousness. It's to, it's, it's to, or what, I forget yeah, how you to phrase fulfill it. All to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. And we've talked so about that, that word. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about that word before. But why is it important, I guess? That's my that's my big question. Why why does Jesus do this? I am so glad that you asked this question because I wanted to talk about this. Because what's fun to do when you've got these stories that all the Gospels tell is to set them next to each other and say, what's different between them? And Matthew's the only one that tells of this little conversation, you know, where John says, mm, I'm not sure I should do, do this. And Jesus says, you know, it's the right, it's the right thing to do, which raises that the, exactly the question that you had. Why, should, why would Jesus be baptized if he wasn't, if he didn't have sin? And I want us to totally set aside that question because the idea that Jesus was sinless doesn't develop for a couple hundred years in Christianity. It is not an idea that is present to Matthew as he's writing. And I think this is interesting. Like our ideas of who Jesus was grew over hundreds of years. And sometimes we tend to take things and then bring them back into the text. So I don't think Matthew is interested at all in, is Jesus sinful or not? I think what he's trying to show us is that Jesus is choosing to take up God's way in the world and that for him, baptism, this going through the water as one person and coming out as another was part of his own move into ministry. I mean, this, what happens right after this is Jesus begins his public ministry. So this is the initiation of Jesus Work And I think that's more important than the sin question. Why do you think John did hesitate? What was that about for him? What was he saying? I don't know that you need this. Shouldn't, I be, shouldn't you be baptizing me? 
That's a really good question. <laughs> we what, don't do have you, to. what do you think, Pastor Lois? Well, I, the the word righteousness is so interesting to me because we and and Matthew keeps bringing it up. We talked about this. I remember at the beginning of Advent when um, Lois Malcolm came to Forum and started talking about Matthew's description of of Joseph and all of it, but Joseph was a righteous man. So Joseph does what's right in that relationship, even if it doesn't seem right to the outside. So there's something about, this is what the relationship is going to require of me. It's just the sense of righteousness means I'm going to do what this relationship requires. So I wonder if Jesus is asking, or is, is saying to John, in order for me to be in relationship with you, I want this. Um, this is what's going to make this relationship right. Or is it the relationship with God in order to be right with the Holy Spirit somehow, which may, you could read it maybe both ways. You talked about, Pastor Bradley, about putting the different um, gospels side by side and comparing the different tellings of the story. At the Monday morning Bible study that happened earlier this week, folks in the group pointed out that the final verse, verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. Both Mark and Luke say, you are my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased. And so the Bible study group is asking, it's almost like in Mark and Luke's version, only Jesus hears that voice. And then the voice is speaking to him, to Jesus. Oh, it's in his head. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. um, But here it's almost as if Everyone who's witnessing this event gets to hear that voice, and it's not directed to Jesus, but to the whole group saying, this is my beloved. I'm not really sure what to make of all that, but I think oh, it's um, it's an interesting idea that for some reason, Matthew changes that telling. I always wonder, what were the words? You know, we, we have this very powerful sense of, I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It, what, were, what were John's words? What was that baptism? What were the words used about saying, I, I wash you with the righteousness of God, or I wash you with a new beginning, or I, you know, your sins are forgiven, or whatever it would be. But it, it would be cool to know what the words were. Well, we should probably wrap up today. Um, Thank you so much, Ben, for being with us. It was really fun to have you. Um, For those of you who are listening, we are interested in the questions you have or what you think about these texts. Feel free to drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. We also thank Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us. If you happen to be listening to this podcast before Sunday, January 12th, 2020, join us at Gloria Day at 930, where we will be doing our first ever live podcast. Wow. Do we get to give autographs and things? Will we have special makeup? (laughs) <laughs> we don't need a lot of makeup for radio. Thank goodness. Um, but what we will lose is our ability to be wonderfully edited by Marshall mm. Saunders. So we will be live. We um, hope that you'll be there. You'll you'll be able to be our guest, our special guest with questions of your own. And we're looking forward to hearing them. Come with your questions. Join us for Sunday worship at 815 or 1045 with Sunday School for All Ages at 930. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you go about your day, know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. 
You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 